Just keep in that place of God's presence and worship this morning as we open God's Word. You can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Um, one of the things we're going to do this morning is uh, take a little quick tour through the Sermon on the Mount. So you go ahead and get ready for that. If you need a Bible, there's some at the back. Just lift your hand and an usher will bring you a Bible. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed the season we just finished in the Psalms. Uh, we had a great Pentecost service last week. You're all filled with the Spirit. Y'all filled with the Spirit? Yeah. All right. Well, that's perfect preparation for what we're embarking on today. We're going to have a journey of kingdom love. And that is uh, one of the things that is most important to Jesus in all of what he talked about, in all of what he did, was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Super high priority for him. And why, why are we tackling this now? Well, first of all, we've been really led by the Lord in moving into this series. Because in a lot of, in a lot of the church, we, we hear about the life-saving crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay for our sin and to open up the door to eternal life, which is absolutely true, absolutely crucially important. If you have not experienced the forgiveness of Jesus for your sin, then I bless you today to make today the day where you receive forgiveness for your sin. But we often stop there, and it leaves a lot of the church living, waiting to go to heaven. And in reality, what Jesus did for us is so much bigger than that because He opened up an entire kingdom where He is the King and where His rule on the earth is beginning to take place and will be fully manifested when He returns. And the kingdom means that there is eternal life now. Not fully, but it is available to us now. And so we miss the fact that we serve a king and that he has a kingdom and that it has parameters around it and that it is powerful and awesome and it is changing the world. And it is, right now, it is subversive. And so we often miss it. So what we're going to do in this series is really get ourselves tuned in to what Jesus is saying about the kingdom and what that means for us as those that are following him. Now, how can I give you an analogy? Let me give you an analogy of the kingdom. There was once a ruling dynasty in basketball, but a small team of humble, unknown players from nowhere came and subversively brought in a new playbook that changed the order of basketball forever. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Toronto Raptors. Yes, yes, we the North, we the North. Now that is, that is a small example of what we've got coming when the king comes back. That's what we've got coming. We are going to be celebrating the glory of the returning king in his victory. So, 
Jesus launched this whole thing on a small hill in Galilee, on the north end of the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee. You got that next slide there. And he launched his kingdom from there in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus has just come from the desert where he was tempted by Satan and he was filled with... He defeated Satan in hand-to-hand combat, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he came, and that's where we go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And I'm just going to give, I'm just going to skip through the Sermon on the Mount. The eight times in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about the kingdom. And he says in Matthew 4, verse 17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Two verses down, he says, come follow me and I will send you to fish for people. So repent, follow me, get ready. And then in verse 23 of chapter 4, he says that he went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He's declaring that he's full of power to heal and to set people free. And in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there he's saying, even the spiritual zeros, even the poor in spirit, all are welcome. Every single one of us. If you're here today and you've always wondered whether you're welcome in the kingdom of heaven, you are welcome because Jesus says, even if you have zero spiritual credentials, you are welcome. In chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, he's saying, all are welcome, but prepare yourself for it uh, to be difficult, to be persecuted. In Matthew 5.20, he then goes on to say, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom. And he's saying, you can't get in the kingdom with religion. You can't get in the kingdom by your performance. You can only get in the kingdom by my righteousness, what I have done for you. And so he's making it clear that we have to have him. And then in Matthew 6, 9, he says, Now, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are to pray hard. And in verse 33 of chapter 6, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things you need will be added unto you. That's a major league promise right there. That is a major league promise. But that's what he's saying. Everything you need will be given to you if you seek first the kingdom. And then finally, in chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he's saying, look, don't just play, you got to obey. Don't just play, you got to obey. And this is the introduction to the kingdom. This should be a good summary for us who went through the Sermon on the Hill a few months back. And if you weren't here, then you know uh, that's how Jesus launched his kingdom. That's how he kicked the whole thing off. And we have this promise coming back. Now, this kingdom journey that we're starting, it builds on a journey we did uh, almost two years ago called neighbor love. 
in that series, we learned that Jesus told us that loving your neighbor as yourself was equally important to loving God. In fact, he goes on to say, and the Bible goes on to say, if you can't love the people you can see, there's no way you can love someone you can't see. And so Paul would say, loving your neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. So that basically ratches that commandment up to the very top of the list. And we embarked on that for the last two years. We've been on that journey to learn to love our neighbors uh, in greater ways. And that has changed our congregation. It's changed my heart. I trust it's changed your heart. Well, Jesus is inviting us now into more. This is the way he likes to work. Okay, you got that? Okay, let's give you some more. And he's inviting us into more uh, in kingdom love. And it's in this command that he gave the night before he died. A new command I give you, love one another, not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. So Jesus is raising the bar now. So you must love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love changes everything. We got a real king. We got a real kingdom. We got a call to kingdom love, which is to love like Jesus did. And we have a call on our lives together. And whenever we talk about moving out as a church, it's a bit scary. There's the unknown. When you get to the edge of the kingdom and you're trying to take new territory for the king, it can get a little scary. But that is what Jesus is calling us into, that adventure. And he's calling, it, calling us into it as his disciples, as his children. So this is really important. I really want this to stick. Bringing the kingdom love and the love of Jesus to others is not only what he's asking us to do, which is exactly what it is, but it's more than that. It's who we have become in him. Because in Christ, our identity is the same between us and the Father as it is between Jesus and the Father. So for those of us who have been baptized and walked out into a love relationship with Jesus, the heavens open at that moment and says, you are my dearly loved son or my dearly loved daughter whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Our identity has become Christ. He is our identity and it is he who sets us in that place with the Father. Now, we've had a small group of people who've been out there practicing kingdom love over the past three months and uh, I want to invite uh, Ray Kubik, who's been one of those members of our team, to share what this journey as a child of the light has done in his life. Uh, thank you, church. Um, it's, re, uh, it's really reordered my whole life. Um, uh, it's uh, more, made it more outward focused uh, than inward focused. It's uh, really energized my prayer life. Uh, my time with those that I spend around uh, with uh, other people. Um, and reordered, I mean, by uh, Monday nights, I used to play badminton with Bruce, actually. And I forsook that and 
uh, now meet with a young group of um, alcohol and rehab, alcohol and drug rehab uh, ministry down in Newport, uh, Kentucky called Reset, and um, uh, building relationship and discipling with them. And then on Thursday nights, we had our uh, small group, and that was the night that Dennis chose uh, to have his disciple-making movement uh, training, and I decided to attend it rather than going to our small group. And, of course, there's been other days and nights that I've uh, reordered that I probably would have done something else if it wasn't for uh, this training. Um, I think the, the biggest thing also is just my prayer life, my, uh, my list of people that I pray for. And I don't pray for things. I just pray that the, uh, the Lord will draw, him, uh, draw them to him is what I pray for. Um, and um, and I'm, I'm looking expectantly to the day that they'll give their lives to Christ. Uh, and hopefully I could plant seeds uh, with my uh, relationship with them along the way. Um, and um, I'm looking for uh, people of peace. I, I haven't done that. You know, uh, uh, Jesus uh, gave us very clear instruction in the uh, New Testament of what to do. In Luke 10, he he asks us to go out two by two and look for people of peace. And so I'm, I'm constantly looking for those people that are open, uh, open to the scripture and spiritually minded. Um, I'm looking for uh, uh, spiritual conversations that I could have with people, people that uh, when I'm reading the word in the morning, I can share in a practical way uh, with those around me. So a number of things that I've... Uh, I've been a Christian now for 30 years that God has just opened my eyes to. And um, it's all through his word, uh, through the training, through the accountability of the group that we meet with on a regular basis. Um, uh, The other thing I just want to point out is this is not a a Lone Ranger uh, ministry. Um, When the Lord said to go out two by two, um, I I go out with uh, Mike Cambron. um, And every time we go out, we we always say, you know, how much more powerful it is to go out with another brother in Christ rather than on your own. Uh, you're just more bolder. Um, you can just speak the word uh, more powerfully to those around you. Um, I go with a gentleman on uh, Tuesday mornings down to uh, City Gospel Mission to speak to the homeless uh, with uh, Jeff Kenny, And he was doing it by himself and I just asked if I could join with him. And he, every time we go down there, we drive down together, talk on the way down, talk on the way back. And he just says, you know, how much more beneficial it's been uh, by doing it with two people. So just a few things that uh, uh, over the last just two to three months that have happened in my life. And I encourage you all to uh, hopefully this is an encouragement to some of you here today. So, thank you. Oh, one last thing in that worship song. Uh, what really struck me was the last line that says, uh, lead me in your love to those around me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Great encouragement. So, this is, in addition to everything else, challenging and uh, whatever, it's fun. And it will change our relationship. Uh, with Jesus. It will make us more intimate and more aware of um, just what 
uh, a privilege it is we have to be his ambassadors. So here's the menu for the journey that we're going to take for the next 10 Sundays. Uh, we're going to just do two things. Each Sunday, we're going to look at one parable of the kingdom, and we're going to look at a practical tool uh, for, for us to use uh, going forward. And uh, so hopefully you'll be able to uh, pick these tools up, and they'll be a blessing to you. And also, in that list of parables, there's going to be 10 of them. Feel free to read through those. They are absolutely amazing. Uh, read through those. Uh, but we're going to dive in now to um, the parable of uh, the sower in Mark chapter 4. So if you want to turn from Matthew 7, where you were last, let's go over to uh, Mark chapter 4. And we're going to do the first parable uh, in our series in today's text. So I'm just going to read it out loud. You can follow along and make a few comments as we go. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop some multiplying 30, some 60, and some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Father, we ask that your word would open, open our hearts, that you would uh, fill us today, uh, Father, with your presence, with your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the parable starts with listen, and that's a pretty important sign. It's, it's the Hebrew word shema, which is the prayer the Jews would say three times a day. So in their language, Jesus would start his parable with shema, which would wake him up. And then that last line, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. That was a turn of phrase that many of the prophets used. So they knew that there was a prophet among them. They knew that this was substantive teaching they needed to pay attention to. And what that last line means is whoever has a heart to open up to what I'm saying is going gonna, is gonna to get something. It's really a heart test. This whole parable uh, is a, a test of the heart. And it's um, really interesting that as soon as that is done, we, we read this in verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. So we see here that there were some, the twelve, of course, with him, and even some others who went to find him alone. Uh, they wanted to get more. This occurs all through the Bible with Jesus, with Nicodemus coming to him at night, the woman at the well, uh, the 
the uh, men that want to be healed, Mary of Bethany. There, there's, there's people in, this, in the New Testament who kind of like moths to light. They want more. They want more. And so the first thing we can see is that Jesus says to them, um, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So this parable contains the secret of the kingdom of God. It's been freely given to his friends, but it's been withheld uh, from those who are not having ears to hear or a heart to to listen. They, they either don't care or they won't look. So the first thing we can say is that the secrets of the kingdom are given to the hungry who seek to be alone with Jesus and to listen for the understanding that he gives. So there is a voluntary... The word of God is everywhere, right? There are some who will dig in. Jeremiah said in chapter 29, verse 13... Call out to me, and if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Later in chapter 33, in verse 3, he says, Call to me, and I will tell you the great and unsearchable things you do not know. And then in Hebrews 11, verse 6, the writer says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. So this is this incredible opportunity for riches that are gloriously available to those who will seek him. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 13 and says to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So Jesus is saying that this parable is the key to understanding all his parables. That's why we're starting with that one today. Why is that? I want you to ponder that. I'm going to come back to that towards the end of the message. So let's go forward into verse 14. The farmer sows the word. And here it appears that the farmer might be Jesus. He doesn't actually say. I think by the time we're done, he never actually clearly articulates that except to say that it's anyone who's sharing the word of God. Anyone who shares the Word of God is a farmer in the kingdom. That can be when you're teaching your child. That can be when you're teaching a Sunday school class. It can be your Bible studies and your small groups. And God is, His heart is for us to sow this Word liberally. The Word is perfect. The message of Scripture, the Gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the things that Jesus announced, these are pure and powerful things. And God has an endless supply of them. And He's not saying, I want you to go to the field and inspect it and put the seed where the good soil is. He's saying, I want you to scatter the seed everywhere. This is His heart. He desires that none would perish. So He's throwing seed liberally everywhere. That's His nature of His generosity. It is the power of the Word, it is the fact that it is eternal. And God's Word is everywhere. It's on TV. It's in the radio. It's on the Internet. It's in printed materials. 
pamphlets, books, uh, libraries full of God's Word. The Bible, of course, obviously the best-selling book of all time. It's in every single hotel room. You can find a Bible. It's everywhere. He's very liberal with it. He's so liberal with it that he sends people, families, one at a time to every language on earth to translate the Scriptures into their language. He spends lives of disciples who follow him, he spends their entire life to translate the Word for a a group of people. His Word is powerful, perfect, and he wants to release it liberally over all of humankind. And so let's Let's be those farmers. Let's be those farmers that are liberal with the Word wherever we go. As Ray was saying, whatever you learn in the morning, reading God's Word, share it with somebody that day. During this journey, we're going to be encouraging our children to just share their Bible study lesson that they get here with one other person during the week. A very simple thing that anyone can do of sharing this unending supply of this beautiful Word of God. All right, so now Jesus uh, is going to reveal the secret of the soils. And this story, this whole story reminds us of Isaiah 5, where God planted a vineyard and wanted good soil and a big harvest. And this is the desire of any farmer. I know some of you who plant your gardens You want good soil. I know you pay a lot of attention to what your garden looks like at home. I know that if it's hard, you're going to till it up. I know that if it's rocky, you're going to remove the rocks. I know that if there are thorns, you're going to pull the thorns. There are some fanatical farmers who even taste their soil, which I hope they do before the manure application. But they do. They want good soil because they want beautiful flowers. They want a harvest. So Jesus reveals the secret of the soils in verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And this first type we may call the hard heart. The word bounces off them like the hard packed path. And Satan is actually swooping in and stealing the message. You know, that's the prayer I pray up in the prayer tower every Sunday morning before services. I pray that Satan will be bound from stealing seed in this place today. But that's what happens. And, and there are so many examples. I mean, we, we have friends who are in a marriage struggle, but they won't look at the Bible to see what God says about marriage. I was reading about a pastor who sent a sermon to his grandmother who was yet to know Christ, yet to come to salvation. And it was a, he said one of his best messages ever. It was about Noah. It was about Noah's faith. It was about Noah trusting God. And um, she writes back to him, thank you for sending that message. Uh, you're becoming a really good speaker. And uh, by the way, when you got to the part where Noah was 500 years old, I totally can't believe that anybody could live that long. But anyway, keep going. So she totally missed the whole thrust of the message because Noah 
was an age she couldn't possibly imagine to be true. And she, Satan took the seed. Uh, another couple in ser- serious financial woes, but they won't look at the word to see how it might help them change their financial habits. Hard-packed soil, the hard heart. Then he reveals the secret of the second soil in verse 16. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The second type we may call the rocky heart. And uh, this is those that initially respond to the gospel with great excitement and joy. And then when trouble comes or difficulty comes, they fall away. They look like sold-out Christians, um, and you just wonder, what in the world happened? And by the way, as you read this parable, you'll begin to see that this isn't about, this is, when we're sharing the word with other people, this isn't about who's saved and who's not saved. This is about the response that people have to the word of God. And he's actually going to, this is going to be really helpful for us as we think about ourselves, but also those we share with. Rocks we could describe as besetting sin. It might be fear of man. Uh, It might be fear of uh, discomfort. It might be uh, addiction. There have been those who will not believe that God has enough power to heal their addiction even in the face of testimonies of other addicts who have experienced God's power. There's those that are intellectually too proud and they consider the Bible myth and nonsense and a crutch and they won't even look at it. There are others that may be quite close to the kingdom. A heartbreaking story of a, of a friend who was a worship leader who is attracted to the same sex And um, rather than know and believe and stand in the victory that that could give him, uh, has left and has gone uh, to be married and to go down a completely different path. Uh, It's shocking to me. Shocking to me. But this rocky heart is these besetting sins that get a hold of us. The third soil he talks about in in verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Let's call this third type of heart a thorny heart. It may be the most dangerous. It's not necessarily sin. Every Every single thing that happens in their life may not be sinful. Hiking, rock climbing, golf, uh, vacations, working hard, uh, being away out of town a lot. They're, they're individually, they're not, they're not necessarily sinful. But when you add them up all together and you see that person who has a challenge in church attendance, has a challenge in reading the Bible, has a challenge in prayer, and eventually the weight of all of that moves them into a place where they are, they are adrift. And their life becomes unfruitful because 
the cares and the other things that are going on have choked out the good seed. In Acts chapter 2, often people in this category will read that and say, boy, they're reading every morning and evening and they're meeting at the temple and they're meeting in their houses and they're just like going completely overboard. Well, Francis Chan did a great message called Who is the Cult? And his argument that for many Sunday morning only Christians, um, they are actually participating in a cult that has no resemblance to the church as it was in the first century. So that is, in my opinion, the most dangerous of the three of the three first three soils. And then he talks about uh, the final soil in verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Luke, over in chapter 8, calls these the noble heart. They hear and accept the word. Accept here is a term that is used in adoption, that they accept the word as the Father has accepted us and adopted us into his family. Same word. It reminds us of Isaac, who got a hundredfold, uh, a hundredfold harvest in Genesis chapter 26. Now, we're not supposed to compare to each other. That's not the point of the parable. All three of these outcomes, 30, 60, 100, they're all fruitful. They're all a blessing. And they are all where we are experiencing the bread of life, the water of life, and God is multiplying in our lives the things that he has set us apart to do. And that brings us back to verse 13, which is, why is this parable the key to all the parables? And I would say this parable is the key because here Jesus is revealing the way people respond to God's word whenever it is sown. So it helps us recognize that it's not about us. Yes, we may be able to get a little better at sharing our testimonies, a little better at sharing what we learned in the Bible that day, a little better at expressing the gospel, but what he's saying is, no, I'm actually showing you how people are going to respond to when you go out and preach the word. Jesus is revealing three things here. He's revealing, first of all, his beautiful heart. He's revealing his heart of generosity, his heart to sow the seed abundantly, his heart to call his disciples to follow him to sow the seed. He has got this beautiful heart to win the whole world. That is his goal. He doesn't want any to perish. He also reveals our own messy hearts. Our own messy hearts. We can read this parable and we can begin to say, Lord, where in my life am I hard-hearted? Lord, where in my life are there rocks that needed to be removed from the garden of my heart? Lord, where, in what aspect of my life are there thorny plants that are crowding out the garden of my heart. And he's inviting us to repent of those things. We, we move past soil number one, the problem of soil number one, we, remove, we move past that when we repent and when we believe that God's word is actually life-sustaining for us, meaningful for us, important for us. We move past soil number two when we 
clear out the rocks, the, the besetting sins or the sin patterns in our lives that sap our spiritual vitality. And we move past soil number three when we pull the thorns of the, the many good things that may be in our lives but are crowding out the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God. As Ray testified, he just pulled a few things out of his schedule. Not necessarily sinful things. You heard what he said. Not simple things, but things that were crowding out his ability to be fruitful. And so Jesus is saying, look, drop a few worldly pursuits so you can pursue some spiritual pursuits. You know, this happens, for example, when we give generously. When we give generously, what we're saying is, I'm going to give with things, with money I may do other good things with, but I'm going I'm to say this is for the kingdom. Or when we fast, food is good. I love food. But fasting is that declaration that we're going to give up eating for a season, for a time, for a meal because of the kingdom. That's a deliberate type of move that, that we can make to strengthen our own hearts. And then finally, Jesus is teaching us, here's how the people you're going to sow amongst are going to react to what I said. Don't be, don't be depressed and discouraged if there's hard hearts. Don't be depressed and discouraged if there's rocky hearts. Don't be dis- depressed and discouraged if there's thorny hearts. I will come and there will be fruitfulness in what you do. So he's teaching us to be skilled ambassadors and he's teaching us to not take it personally and leave the results up to him because he's teaching us about human nature. And so Paul uh, would say uh, that we are ambassadors. And he said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. God has adopted you. You're part of the family. You're a son. You're a daughter. There's nothing more you can do to please God but to, but to be fully identified in Christ. That's all you need. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, not from our doing. But He reconciled Himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God wants to reconcile the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That is the privilege we have in bringing kingdom love to others. So this morning as we respond to the word, I'm going to have the worship team come up. And we're going to have a closing song. We're going to have some prayer teams. We're going to have a time of ministry where if anything in this message has brought you to a place where you need prayer, to be encouraged, whatever you might need, then we'll have prayer teams on the sides. And uh, one or two of these things is going to be key for you. Uh, First of all, let's start with expectation. Let's expect that when we seek and Try to be alone with Jesus. He's going to meet us there. Let's learn to worship. Worship is where we just rest in our identity. Commune with God. Come to the worship night Wednesday night and just commune with God. Repent. 
do a tilling or a removing of rocks or thorns in your heart this week by confessing and turning from that. Receive the Holy Spirit's power, the heart of Jesus Himself. He wants to give us His heart. Pray. Ask for the five people closest to you who don't know Christ. Write their names down and start praying for them. And also pray for your neighbors. And in in community, let's do this in community. We're not lone rangers. Our small groups, our best friends, whatever can become our team uh, as we move out uh, to respond to the message of the sower. Amen? Two tools for this week. One is the prayer covenant tool. This tool is ideal for the caring and tending of your own heart. You pray through these ten lines in this prayer and God will meet you, especially the sixth line, be Lord of my life today in new ways, change me any way you want. That prayer is a dangerous prayer, but God answers that prayer. Make us, make us the kind of ambassadors you want. And use me, the, the next to last line, use me today for your glory as a witness to your kingdom. This is the privilege we have to call on the living Christ. Put a sticky, put a sticky note on there and write the names of the five people closest to you. Find one other person to pray this prayer together. Don't do it alone. Pray it together. Involve someone else in that uh, and pray for each other's five. And watch what God does in terms of opening doors. And lastly, uh, pray for our neighbors. And there is a website called blesseveryhome.com. You go on the website. It's super simple. You're registered to be a light for Christ. You put in your address. You put in the name of your church uh, and the address here. And then uh, every morning, Monday through Friday, you'll get an email that will have you praying for five of your neighbors along with a suggested prayer. So you pray for your neighbors, uh, read, read through the suggested prayer, put it in your own words, and begin praying for your neighbors, and, and you'll be amazed at how God begins to open your heart for your neighbors. So, Father, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. Lord, this week as we take our first steps into the depths of your kingdom love, uh, Lord, open our hearts for prayer. Deepen our prayer lives. Lord, as we worship Wednesday night, Lord, meet with us. Reinforce, Lord, our identity in you. Lord, our desire is to have your heart. Our desire, Father, is to see your Son receive the full reward of his suffering. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
turn that up.